Welcome back to Finding the Edge podcast. I'm Garrett Boyum, joined with Robert Fry. Yeah, and today we have on facility owner Chad Longworth, who is a well-respected member of the baseball community and has a lot of valuable insight and information within the game of baseball. So highly recommend listening to this podcast, and you will get a few good bits of information from it. Absolutely. And... I'm really excited to have Chad on. I've interacted with him multiple times. Um, always really good conversation, and and today is no exception to that. And we're really excited to share with you kind of Chad's journey and some of the experience and advice that has come from his many years of being in the industry, and just a little bit how his um, coaching philosophy has changed over the years. And so. Another thing we had forgotten to do in a previous podcast is um, let you guys know how you can connect with Chad. So make sure to follow him on Twitter at C Long Baseball, or you can find him on the interwebs at chadlongworthonline.com. Make sure to check him out. He's got some really great products, both for um, arm care, um, bat speed, um, I believe even plyos. So again, check out his his uh, website. There's also continuing ed courses on there as well. So I really hope you guys enjoy our conversation with Chad Longworth. Let's begin. Well, Chad, it's it's great to actually have you on. Um, I actually met you at Pitchapalooza, um, what maybe three years ago now, um, or was maybe more than that. But um, could you kind of tell us a little bit of background story on yourself um, and kind of how you got into baseball and coaching? In talking with Nick, I didn't realize that uh, you had actually coached him, and so. Um, just kind of give us some background on yourself and how you got to where you are now. So, yeah, um, my background is obviously in through professional baseball. Um, I got drafted out of high school, played four years in the Indians organization, was, was just kind of done with it. Um, came back to my hometown um, to go to school. I uh, just decided I would give it some time to see if I could get back into affiliated baseball. Didn't happen. I was going to go to summer school in June. I got released in April. I was going to go to summer school in June. Um, the local high school coach called me and said, Hey, man, uh, we need somebody to to kind of head up the summer team that's not affiliated with the school. Would you be interested in it? I was like, oh, I don't know, man. I don't know that I want to coach. I don't know that this is for me. But, yeah, I mean, if it helps you guys out, I'll I'll do what I can. He says, you don't have to come all the time. Um, If you just show up sometimes, that'll be good enough. I'll have assistance there, yada, yada, yada. I was like, okay, perfect. So I went to the first game, and at the first game, I was like, this is – I like this a lot. And that was in 2006. And I really haven't stopped or taken many days off since then. 
And so I spent five, three years as assistant coach at that school, two years as the head coach. Both of those years, Nick was my catcher. Um, and so we we had Nick and then Ryan, the kid that is what I call him a kid. He's 25 now. He's strength and conditioning coach for the Mariners. And so it was a really successful time then in, I think, player development in high school. I mean, we took that approach in high school and you see Nick is this curious, still this curious guy and Ryan is super curious. And we've got a basketball coach at assistant basketball coach at Richmond. Um, now, and so I'm really proud of that, that time, um, 2011, I, uh, the school's consolidated. I was an untenured teacher at the time, so I, did not continue to coach baseball or teach PE there. Um, didn't really enjoy the politics of coaching anyway. And so I was kind of done again. I was like, I don't know. You know, my, my dad has this sporting goods shop. I'll just work there, um, help him with some rental properties he's got and kind of figure it out there. And then there was like one guy who was like, would you mind working with my son? like giving him lessons. It's like, Oh, I don't know that I want to give lessons, man. I don't want to babysit people. And so like I got into that and I was like, you know, I kind of like this too. And, you know, I kind of like the freedom to like do whatever. And so still at this time, I'm very, my coaching philosophy is very much what professional baseball had been. Um, and then you roll along a couple of years and, you know, I've, I've told this story many times on several podcasts, but um, I found a bat sensor in a cage, one, just this random cage. And I was like, this is this is cool. I don't know what this is. I don't know what any of this stuff means, but this is really cool. And then I started to find out things like that. I believe that maybe that I had believed for like a while in my playing career and through coaching. They're like, maybe this is not exactly what I was told or, you know, sold as a player. So you start to ask different questions. And I think that's really kind of, I've always been driven to help players be successful. Um, you know, I went back to the high school that I attended and it's a very successful high school, the winningest baseball program in the state of Virginia in history state championships, yada, yada, yada. The coach is legendary there. But I kind of went back because partly I wanted to give back to the program, and then I never thought the players got enough credit. And so I said, I'm going to go back, and I'm going to make sure the players get all the credit for this. And so I've just always been driven to help players get better and make sure that they get the credit for this. And so shifting gears throughout my time, has never been a problem because it's never been about me. Like it's, it's always been about the players and it's always been about helping them and it's the best that I can. And through that's kind of, I guess how I arrived to today, you know, we've got a lot of different systems and a lot of different new cool technology and just, I don't have any problem even today shifting gears in the face of new data or better data or better facts or, you know, it's cause it's not about me really ever. Um, so, cause you've been around for a while, what have, what kind of shifts have you seen in baseball from like when you started to, 
um, where things are now? So around the time that I kind of found the bat sensor, like everybody thought I was nuts. Everybody thought I was crazy. Now probably only half the people think I'm crazy. And so, <laughs> okay. and so like you st- no one was really talking about technology and you know no one was really using the tool as as a feedback tool. I think this this was early Zep. It was just kind of seen as like a neat little toy that you could measure stuff with. And like, I really kind of dove into it because I, I thought, man, this is like some maybe important things in here. You know, they were doing early vertical bat angle. They were doing early attack angle. Um, just very basic things that I thought were kind of cool. Uh, now you see technology everywhere in professional baseball. You see it, you know, I, really in technology to me, because I, I, I didn't play college baseball, but I find college baseball to be really kind of where where the magic is happening right now. I mean, it's obviously because Major League Baseball is plucking college guys everywhere. But really, I think a lot of good work is happening in college where a lot of the, like what we're starting to see is like the players that colleges are recruiting, they're starting to be completely developed on using a rap soto for pitch feedback or, or using a bat sensor to, to measure and quantify what a trainer or coach is telling them. Um, and so that's changed a lot. I mean, that's changed a whole lot. And it's been kind of cool to see because I tell people, I'm just, I'm just a kind of a curious guy from the middle of nowhere that like caught the front end of that wave. And it's been cool to see it all play out how has your i guess your coaching philosophy shifted from that that early time of catching kind of the wave of early technological developments with like the swing sensor um to to where it is now you know and talking to nick and and you know we've gone really really 180 from that time till now on training environments, uh, constraint led approach task, uh, you know, we've, we've kind of gone 180 in, in how we design and think about player development on an individual level, just because we have the tools to, we have the tools and we have the markers to say, all right, I, I think we're going in the right, this like looks really strange and, it, and it, it's not traditional at all, but like we're getting some really good, you know, measurable results out of this. And so, yeah, it looks different. Yes, it's non-traditional, but it's really hard to argue with what's happening here. And so, you know, transitioning from where we were, where it was just a very basic, when you start into this thing where it is very identify the flaw prescribe the correction and then go work on it a million times to let's try to create something where athleticism happens, movement happens, variability happens, like all these things that, that good hitters do uh, you try to design and measure them in a training setting. So now we can like get closer to solving the problem in the game in real time. 
bringing back to kind of your earlier point, Chad, where you said, oh, you know, oh, I don't want to get into coaching, and then you started liking it, and then, oh, I don't want to do lessons, and you started liking it. Um, is there something from, say, a player development standpoint uh, recently or, you know, over over time that you, you kind of had those thoughts initially where, you know, this concept was like, oh, I, I don't think this will work, but then you started to like that concept? Um, honestly, in the, on the concept side, um, no, I, I mean, I've been surprised, I would say at things through the years. Um, but one being like when I stumbled upon driveline, um, I stumbled upon driveline in 15 per se, I guess. And it was like weighted balls. And I'm like, okay, we can't throw weighted balls. We're going to get hurt. And then it's like, I'm doing some lessons with a couple kids. And I, I thought maybe we'll give it a shot. Uh, Maybe I'll give it a shot and see how it works. The dad was like, you know, whatever you want to do, you've helped them a ton. And like, it worked amazingly well. So I was like really surprised at how well it worked. Maybe I did not that I didn't think it wasn't going to work, but, I was really shocked. It's kind of the same thing with like weighted bats and like I've been, I was surprised initially at like how good this stuff worked and like no one was doing it really at that time. Weighted bats have become more of a thing, but I still don't think it's quite where it should be if we're talking about aspects of variability and all these other things. Do you want to kind of expand on that in terms of what you think, um, these tools can be utilized more, especially in a constraint led approach or um, from this perspective. Um, but I also wonder too, if it, if it's worth backing up just a little bit and talking about how you actually found the constraint led approach and what led you to um, looking more into motor learning theories uh, when it comes to player development. Again, I found the constraint led approach through driveline. I didn't know what it was mm-hmm. when I first started doing it. And then you don't know what I'm doing. And I'm like, as you start doing it more, it's like, there's kind of a method here. And you start to dig some more and it's like, this probably works for hitting too. And then you start to, you start to really learn about this thing through dynamics. I see Ryan Parker in the day when Parker used to tweet all the time. He used Mm -hmm. to talk about the dynamics of skill acquisition, which in my mind is if you're a hitting coach and you haven't read that, you, you really haven't started yet. Um, and so it may not be the be all end all, but it's, but it's like the starting point. And so read that mine was blown again. Like, man, what have I been doing? Or what did I even do as I was a player? You know, you just try to, as a player, you just try to find and search for this perfect swing model. And it's like, I was looking for something that really wasn't even out there, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, so it's like you switch gears on that. What was the second part of the question? Uh, the trailer approach and, and motor learning. Um, yeah. And so motor learning, just traditionally in baseball, like really none of this stuff that we do makes a lot of sense in any other world. And so you start to ask questions. It's like, well, if it were that easy, then a lot, there'd be a lot more, there'd be a lot more good players, but because the my my one of my 
one of the people early on that influenced me a lot and I talk about him, I think, in the dynamics of hitting was Hunter Bledsoe. And Hunter always said, the mind is primary. And I just kind of always go back to that point. It's like the mind is primary. And, and the Franz Bosch point of, you know, the body and the brain don't care what the coach has to say. It's like, so I, just because motor learning and the concepts of motor learning are, are very difficult, it's probably better if I just say less and design more and measure the outcome and adjust from there. Um, you know, my education, I was a PE major. So again, we talked about this before we started and learned much in college, but we talked about these things, but you know, just being a, being somewhat arrogant, young baseball guy, I'm like, yeah, this doesn't apply to baseball. And then you come 360. It's like, yeah, yeah, I was wrong about that. This directly applies to baseball. Um, and so here we are through concepts of motor learning, concepts of skill acquisition, and just doing weird stuff and asking different questions. What was one of your big takeaways from dynamics of skill act? You said that was kind of a, a mind blowing experience. What was kind of the thing that just really stood out to you? I mean, re- um, I mean, honestly, it was, it was like the moment somewhat the moment I guess I figured out what driveline was doing. It's like, Oh crap. All right. There's like, there like is something to this. It's like not just throwing these weird plyo balls into a wall and like doing these running throws and like, there's actually something to this. And so, um, just the basic constraint led approach ideas that are there, um, just kicked me in the direction of like, all right. So like, now I know what I'm kind of doing. I mean, I guess you're always kind of, you kind of, you never know exactly what you're doing, but you kind of know what you're doing now and what you're trying. Cause there actually, there's actually a thing here. There's actually like a framework here. Um, and so that was kind of the constraint, just the understanding of the constraint led approach from the beginning and how, you know, skill is skill acquisition happens. It's not, it's not, it wasn't, I'm going to prescribe what I think is wrong with your swing and you're going to go work on it 700 times off the tee and practice is going to make perfect and you're going to be a better hitter. And I'm going to snap my fingers while it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I guess since you brought up the tee, Nick said something interesting to me. I can't remember if it was on a podcast or not, but um, what's kind of your take on the tee and how has that influenced um, how you've, train some athletes so we use we haven't hit a baseball off the tee in a batting cage for probably like five years no one wow um we use the tee we use the backspin tee we use the plyo balls to do our kind of our drill progression and we've even gotten away from that a little bit Mm -hmm. um we've gotten more into like ball dropping and flipping and the, the drills even more so than the T. Although I think the backspin T is an X. The reason we use it is because it's, it's a task constraint in and of itself. Like it, 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 it externally um, gets players to move in a different way without telling them, Hey, I want you to get into this position and do this and do that. Basically all you have to do is like, 
try to hit the bottom of that ball sticking out and like try to hit it. You know, there's this, we, we have these couple lines on our plyo wall, like try to hit it above that plyo, above that line on that plyo wall. You know, we may, we may vary the grip. We may vary the angle. I mean, we, we may add a lot of variations to it, but, um, there are some drills that are better out of that. And there are others that aren't. Um, but I think it, and we use a plyo ball again for the same reason that driveline throws plyo balls is you just kind of with the upside down tee with the plyo ball sticking out, you just want to like take the player and the hitter out of what they traditionally feel like is, is I'm using my quote fingers, making a swing or, or making contact or hitting a ball. You know, it's kind of about starts to become about like, the execution of the task and somewhat trying to feel the move. And, you know, here's a couple little framework things and here's three different bats and let's just try to go hit this ball above this line. Um, after that, we move into more of a, and I talked to Nick about this a lot. We do that outside of the cage. And so for me, it's about, and again, I'm not completely sold on this either. There's several things that we go back and forth on, but to me, it's about, it's not all about random practice and it's not all about block practice and the scale kind of swings back and forth and, and how good you are. You know, if you're really, really good and you're really, really advanced, your time in block practice should be almost none where if you're not as good um, block practice can be valuable and that's kind of like block practice time in, you know, let's kind of talk through what, maybe talk through a little bit what you're doing and talk about the positions you're loading into and talk about the kind of what you're creating, um, in your load. We don't, we never, we, we never ever like now like talk about the bat or what his swing or what their swing is doing. Just talk about like where they're going from and, how they're getting into positions and then you know trying to understand that and build that and then transition it into all right now we're just like executing ex, you know we're, we're trying to execute externally uh against the moving ball and just hitting so we kind of separate the two environments on the training floor to one is blocked and not completely internal but the other is not internal at all completely externally focused and like a lot of what we're getting to be into be like random practice, like straight up random practice. It's just, it's just my, my, how I designed the floor because I think all of it has value. So Nick was telling us on a previous, uh, previous podcast, I believe Garrett and I, um, that he doesn't use the word drill for (laughs) drills. So I was curious to kind of hear your take on that. I make fun of him a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> like it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to me. I think, and I don't know that he's come around totally, but I think sometimes when in Rome, you have to act as a Roman. And if you're talking to some people, you just have to use the language they're familiar with. And so Nick, like call it what you want. Sometimes you have to call it a drill so people understand what you're talking about. Because then they see what you're doing, they're going to be like, what is he doing? Like, what on mm-hmm. earth is he doing? And it's like, yeah, it's weird. And then you're calling it something weird. And like a lot of people are going to tune out 
And it's, he likes to use the correct, you know, academic vocabulary, which is cool. Like Nick, that's awesome, dude. Go <laughs> You do you. He's not wrong. He's not at all wrong. I give him a hard time about it, but I give everybody a hard time about anything. That's kind of how you know I like you is I just give you a hard time about things. And I've given him a hard time about that. But, again, it doesn't matter to me. I mean, I'll call it a drill. But I understand what he's saying, too. Like, I understand why he is – why he thinks that about the word drill. You know, to in his mind, a drill is like, like predetermining – a movement outcome and it doesn't allow for like search and exploration. I get that. Totally get that. I'm 100% with you on that. And I'm not saying drill in that context. All I'm saying when I say drill is like, I'm just speaking a language that people will somewhat understand because when they look at what we're doing, we're hitting these, we're hitting these plyo balls out of this upside down T uh, with a, a over-tipped barrel striding towards third base, they're going to think we're crazy anyway. And now we're calling it something, you know, off the wall, whatever. He calls it activities, hitting activities, which I laugh at every time he says it. But (laughs) I think about stepbrothers every time he says it. It just makes me laugh. He's right. He's 100% right. Yeah. So then I guess that brings up um, when you kind of mentioned being able to um, create a message to your audience in order for them to best understand it. Um, Over the years, kind of tell me about like your experiences or kind of what you do to be able to uh, be able to communicate effectively uh, a certain message to, you know, so many different people because, I mean, you could communicate 30 messages and it go to third, you know, it could be taken 30 different ways. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, so on the early days, I guess of the Twitter streets, I would try to like convince everybody that what we were doing was good. I'm getting older. Um, I've got two kids and they wear me down most days. So I don't spend a lot of time arguing with people anymore. I just don't have the I just don't have the, the patience to do it anymore. Um, I try to talk to the people that are interesting learners um, and see what they say. You know, I like to listen to what they say and, you know, I like to lob what we're doing up and see what comes back. And I'm not offended if, if it comes back that you think I'm completely off my rocker. Um, and so you know, back to the beginning, like everybody thought in, in the early days that maybe you shouldn't swing down. Maybe you should actually try to hit the ball in the air on purpose. Uh, and everybody's like, no way, dude, you're nuts. And now, and now it's like, yeah, yeah, you should probably do that. That's probably a good idea. Uh, and now we have these bat sensors to do it. And, you know, we've been designing my quote fingers and Nick would be so mad. Now we've been designing drills to to try to facilitate that for people uh, without giving them a lot of instructions, without giving them a lot, saying a lot to them so that they find their best move. Because I don't know what that is. Like I tell people up front, like I don't know what your best swing looks like. I'm not going to try to coach you into a swing bias. 
I'm just going to kind of give you this framework and like not say, say as little as possible. Like all I want you to do is try to go fast. All I want you to do is try to hit the ball in the air most of the time. There won't be much else outside of that. I'll provide everything else for you to try to figure that out because hitting's really hard and motor learning and skill acquisition is not simple. And combining all those factors together, it's like there's not an easy answer. And that's what I try to tell people up front. And that's, you know, you touched on something there that I think has really drawn me into the ecological approach to motor learning. And we were talking with even Nick today was on uh, a movement meetup call with emergence. And we were kind of discussing this, this notion or this idea that we don't necessarily know what optimal is for each person. And and really, we're just trying to facilitate a search process for the athlete to find yep. out what is best for them and trying to find out, like, based upon where they're currently at, can they find a better movement solution than what they're currently doing? And to me, that's that's what I really like about this framework is that it frees me up from having to know the right answer. Um you know, for every single guy, whether it's like I have to do an assessment and then from that assessment, I have to figure out what the right answer for this person is. And an ecological approach frees me up to not actually need to know that answer, but instead being able to guide them to find that answer themselves and facilitating a search process through through the different um, training activities um, or drills, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and And creating different training environments for them to be able to do that search process and using the constraint led approach to manipulate different variables to help nudge them along in that search process. For sure. And being around Nick, you know, we've gotten more, more, I guess, feedback and education in that approach and connecting to information and mm-hmm. perception and, and all of this. I think I find it super interesting and, and it all matters. You know, we try to train hitters to be athletic. We try to train them to be stable. We try to train them to be strong. We don't try to overcoach their movements, we, you know, and then on top of that, now we have to figure out like, how do we connect them to the right information Mm-hmm. So that we get in carryover to the game. You know, I find Nick's, I let Nick, he's home and he's in my facility like every day now. And I just kind of let him do what he, do what you want, man. You don't have to, you don't have to do my stuff. Like do what you want. And I don't micromanage him. I don't tell him what to do. And I just kind of watch and observe and ask questions. And I mean, his stuff is super interesting. Like it's a different, like I think his, I think his ideas on like spin attunement and all these other things are like super interesting and things that I never really, not that I didn't think about, but it's like, you know, I never thought about that particular thing. You know, he's got those, I don't know if he's talked about it or he's, he's, you've seen those baseballs that he's Mm -hmm. made differently. It's like, I don't know if it works, man, but like the reasoning that you're doing this is very good. And it makes total sense. It's like the same thing in skill. Like you can't, you can't, um, you know, recognize spin per se similar in the 
the the, the Franz Bosch. You, you don't learn a movement by repeating it over and over again. You learn movement by learning the difference between two different movements. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the same thing for like maybe visual spin recognition. It's like if you look at the same seams all the time, you your brain maybe not even is active in this whole thing. It's just autopiloting and not even processing anything. But now you start to like change what it's, what it, you know, the perception of the ball. Now you may have something, you know, now you may be on to something that's at least interesting. It's not going to make anybody worse. So why not do it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where I think what's been really interesting diving more into this is that on top of not necessarily knowing what the right solution for them is, is that they're actual, they're, the mechanics that we see are actually a result of their connection to the information. So how they're connecting yeah. to that information. In that moment in time, like it's, it's, it's unbelievable. And I, I think I said that on, I think I maybe said that on our round table. It's like if people would just understand that like every major leader you, you see and have seen, is a byproduct of, 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 of an upbringing of like an interaction between task and environment and how they adapted to what was happening at that moment. And he got really good at it. Um, it wasn't a predetermined solution over and over again. Yeah. And two, like one of the, one of the other interesting things that you brought up and I'm trying to remember it exactly. I just know it has to do with, do with the weight room um, in, in terms of how how some of the like concepts and ideas from like how we adapt to things also applies to how we adapt in terms of um, maybe it's like vision or whatnot. Like these are adaptations that we're trying to get, but I'm, I'm actually interested too because like there's been a few um, videos of young kids um, hitting and, you know, hitting home runs or whatever, uh, that have circulated on social media. And I think I was trying to allude to this before, but, uh, Nick was saying that, uh, your kids don't really hit off a team much. So my daughter is eight and my son is six and they have never, I won't say never cause my son did play T-ball, but, but that, I mean, that didn't, in our time together, my daughter and my son have never hit a ball off the tee, ever. Actually, it was funny because my daughter didn't play tee ball. So she's never hit a ball off the tee in her entire life. She's never hit a ball off of the tee. From day one, I just kind of flipped the ball at them. And it was funny because before all this COVID happened, there was a little girl in the cage uh, with her brother had had trained and she came in and she, she just kind of jumped in uh, after we were finished and we were just hanging out talking and she she jumped in there with a ball on the tee. This was probably the first ball that was hit off the tee in years in the building, but I didn't want it. She was just messing around. So she jumps in there and hits the ball off the tee or she's hit swinging the ball off the tee. My daughter kind of jumps in there after and like she can't hit the ball off the tee. She's swinging at it. My daughter swings it pretty good. I mean, she's not bad. She moves really. She's athletic and moves well. And she can't hit the ball off the tee. I mean, she can't hit it. And 
And I'm thinking to myself, that's, that's interesting because we could have spent a lot of time hitting balls off the tee, and she'd probably be really good at it. But like, what value? To me, it was it was like you get good at the environment you practice in. If we had spent a lot of time with my daughter hitting the ball off of the tee, that she probably could have hammered that ball off the tee. But she 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 you know she's she's eight and she was around one of her girls. She's like, I'm just not used to this. I'm thinking like she's never done it. She never hit a ball sitting still ever, and she couldn't do it. It was it was it was interesting to watch her swinging that ball on that tee because I've just flipped to her. You know, I've just flipped to her. We've done variable. What what I design is, you know, we we have like we have. I think now, gosh, I built the built the bent bat, the bent stick that you saw on Twitter probably two or three days ago. We got that. We've got we've got several, just a lot of different. We got a short one. We've got a fat one. We've got their bat. We've got a heavy like we've got a lot of different stuff. Six or seven things that. My kids just try to swing really fast and hit the ball really far. I'm like, that's I've never coached them. I've never told them what to do other than that, and they've never hit a ball off the tee ever. I think that though speaks to the whole how important information is, and like that information is just way different than what actually occurs in the game. Yeah. And so if you can get them to be really locked in and good at what happens in the game you know, doing something off the tee doesn't necessarily, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't follow that if you're good at the game, you're good at hitting off a tee. No, no, 100%. And so then that makes me question if you go the opposite direction, if you can really good at hitting off the tee, does that mean that you'll be good hitting off a ball that's moving? Um, I mean, I, I don't know because like people have been doing it forever and it just, it makes me wonder if people just got good at doing two different things. And at some level people have the ability to slightly translate, but it makes me wonder if the juice is worth it. Squeeze on, on that. Yeah. I mean, you know, we talk about training economy and you talk about time and you talk about why, if you can, why spend any training economy time on on just hitting a ball off a tee, like in a game swing style manner? Yes, we hit balls out of a tee, but it's all in movement based challenges. It's not we're not getting in a batting stance, and we're not taking a swing that we're going to take um, per se off of a ball that's thrown at you. We're just like with our guys, we're just it's it's the age of trainability, right? You, you go zero to twelve, and and you're growing, and and you're very trainable. Like your 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 brain, your information that you're taking in, it's just very trainable. It's like I, I've said this the, with my own kids, you know, observing my own kids. This, this is the first two kids that that I've observed all the time, and I've 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 said this a lot recently. It's like, man, like zero to twelve. It, there may not be a more important time for a player because you you can't if you connect to the wrong information and you 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 attune them to the wrong stuff you can never go back you you can never go back like there's no going back they're always connected to that and you know I, I use this as an example with my daughter again and my son we have 
they I'm not going to say they have one swing, but they have really one intent, and that is like I'm going to swing fast. I'm going to try to hit the ball far, um, and that's what they do. They either do that or miss. You know, we have players who 13, 14, 15 who will be like, all right, man, we're finishing up the day. Here's the, here's a two o fastball, and I'm going to BP fastball. I'm going to throw right down the middle, and I'll kind of yank it a little bit, like a little down and away. 50 mile an hour heater and they'll give you the like the butt out swing to second base and it's like you connected to that information a long time ago by just trying to make contact you're not trying to go fast and you're not trying to get your best swing off you're just trying to make contact with that ball you should have missed that ball if at worst you know not what you just did in a 2-0 count my kids would miss that but they don't have that swing now they would never do that they either swing as fast as they can, trying to hit it as far as they can, foul it off, be what it is. They'll never give you that swing. My eight-year-old's probably a bit more representative of that than my six-year-old. He's still really very early stage motor learning where he – but she, my daughter's starting to like – she takes gymnastics. She's in cheer. She takes dance. She plays basketball. So athletically, like she's really starting to – to kind of come into herself a little bit and be a little more representative of, of what she'll actually look like playing softball or baseball or whatever. She says she's going to be the first major league player, which I'm completely cool with at this time. I'm not going to tell her differently. <laughs> yeah. So then I guess then um, for those that maybe are attuned to the wrong information, you know, from that zero to 12 uh, age range how much of it is an is it or you know uh how is the uphill battle for them to kind of reattune the or kind of readjust or at least find a kind of attunement to where they can say all right well this is based on this i can kind of use this information to best optimize my swing or Best optimize whatever you want. To yeah, have. my intention of my swing or whatever. Like, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I know it's difficult, and I know that it all really depends upon the culture you're in. Like, training culture is enormously important. Um, it depends on the culture you're in. It's, it depends on the environment you train in, the task challenges you're presented, and you know how much. Not only are you now now you're attuned to the wrong information, your intention of action is wrong too, and so now you have to go back and redo, you know, what would be the most important years of of potentially your development life from zero to twelve. Now you have to go back and redo that because you did all of those things wrong. I mean, I'm not saying you can't overcome it, but it's like if you can't not waste that time, it's like doing T work. If you can't just not waste that time. Like, don't waste it. Like, don't do it. Like, do something that's that's going to help you do some more of, you know, the first principle things that are going to make you good. And adaptability to a moving pitch is better than not. You know, it's Cody Bellinger. And when we did one video where he just does front toss and he tells, I think, I think Sean Casey was maybe doing the video. It's like, I just kind of throw it wherever. They're going to throw it there anyway, like throw it wherever. And I don't want to know where it's going. 
And they, that's that's kind of how I've always done like work like that. It's like I'm not we're not going to say all right, this is an in round or this is an out round. Or, this is this. I'm just going to kind of like throw it. I'm going to tell you what the count is and like I'm just going to throw it and you got to hit it. Um One of one of the interesting things too, I remembered now uh, what I was um, queuing in on, and it had to do with um, doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, and this is how it like it reminds me of uh, SNC principle of if you do the same program over and over again, eventually you're not going to respond to it anymore. You're just going to plateau. Maybe you'll go, things will actually start to regress um, or at least you'll just stay the same. And so it, it highlights to me the importance of challenge and how challenging the, the system actually causes it to grow and adapt. Like in order to actually get the, the muscles to actually train uh, change, you actually have to impart a, a stimulus that actually causes them to change. And so when we're, when we're actually trying to train hitters, we need it to be challenging enough that they actually have to adapt. And when I was thinking too about um, what you're talking about, like the attuning, attuning to wrong information, I think it is, it is very hard um, to shift that because people who have had time to actually search and become attuned to the right information, they've had a lot more time and experience exploring and finding um, ways of solving that problem. Yeah. Whereas a person who has not been attuned has been attuned to the wrong information, they haven't had that time and experience of finding movement solutions that actually work to solve that problem. And so, really, though, and from my understanding, if I'm trying to get an athlete who is attuned to the wrong information to attune to the right information. I have to make that information that they're relying on less useful. And then I also have to get them to start exploring to find that information that is specifying and useful for them to be able to connect to. And then also they have to begin to search to find and connect with what movements actually work in concert with that information. And that's, that's a really long and challenging process that like you're saying, like people who have been doing it a lot longer, they've, they don't have that same experience and they're it's it may take them a little bit longer um but i also think though if if we're as the coach we may be able to help that along a little bit by manipulating the environment and and helping out a little bit educate their attention to um various variables um to help help that process along a little bit when they get stuck yeah i mean for sure right i don't think it i think what I don't the the hard thing is 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 I guess for them especially being young especially being insecure when you're young is mm, like mm-hmm. venturing outside of what you're comfortable with and not I think a lot of people in this I told you this before we started like it doesn't matter to me we can talk about anything we can say anything because not that I don't care what people think because I hope people find value in what I do but I am doing the very best that I can. And if you, if that's not good enough for you, I don't really care what you think. And I've kind of always had that. I've always kind of had that approach, but players, a lot of players that I meet, they almost take it personal when you say like, like you're not wrong. 
in what you're saying, but like, it's also not that easy. And, and what I mean is, is the wrong information, a lot of the wrong that information that, that, that circulates through, uh, baseball is like the search. And I told, we talked, I said this in the beginning, the search and the belief that there's one perfect swing and like mm-hmm. players are down the rabbit hole looking for this one swing and like, Hey man, it's not out there. Like, there, there are swing characteristics that certainly elite players have. And we don't know much about how they produce them other than, yes, it is a connection to the information that's in front of them in the task, in the environment, at that singular point in time with strength, stability, mobility, whatever. But, like, you trying to, like, find this perfect swing, you're just not going to find it. And it's almost like, you tell them that what they've done for years, it's not wrong, but it's like, man, it wasn't the right thing to chase. And now, you know, and people, I guess they take it personal that you're telling them that it was wrong and they kind of take offense to that. And I don't know, I guess that you're their 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 self-worth is wrapped up in that too. And it's like, man, let's just kind of let that go and, try to explore this thing a little bit with, without, you know, the perception that the perfect swings out there, let's just try to find a a movement that works for you and accept the fact that a, it's going to be really hard because it is like there. If we do this practice environment thing, right. Your success rate from where you currently are of like 95% in practice is going to be like below 50 that doesn't make you worse. That just makes it more representative to what's going to happen in the game. Yeah. And, and two, I think on the, the whole information part, as I've been thinking about it, it, because, because it shapes movement to me, if you're focused on this perfect swing or this mechanics, it's like, I'm thinking about focusing on my perfect response, like nailing the, saying it perfectly, you know, whatever it is I'm trying to say, and then versus actually being connected to the conversation, what the other person's saying, like there's a complete difference between that and, and, and focusing on like saying the perfect thing. And I think that's analogous to, to this search for a perfect swing. And I think to your point though, it's really hard to get on the same page, even when you're trying to communicate with somebody else. Um, and that's kind of just as hard as it is to, to hit a baseball. But my point being simply that the more you're in sync with what's going on, you simply have to be able to just accomplish the task and it doesn't need to be perfect. As long as the other person gets the message that you're trying to communicate, you successfully communicated with them, whether or not you use the perfect words and articulated the best. Um, at least that's, that's what I've been thinking about when, when I've been trying to figure out how to at least articulate a little bit, this notion of this idea of like, why is it that so many people are focused on the perfect swing? Um, and how to help break them out of that. Because I think that plays into what you were talking about, Chad, of players struggling with, with this shift away from that, because so many coaches have ingrained in them, whether it be um, their high school coach or maybe their college or somebody else or what they're seeing on social media, 
they feel like that is the answer that they're supposed to be searching for. And so, um, you know, to your point, there's, there's a cultural aspect, I, I think, that you mentioned before that I think may be in play uh, when it comes to, to that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that we are bucking what has been done in baseball for 100 years, but we are kind of bucking what has been done in baseball for 100 years. You know, so we're not undoing it, but it's like we didn't understand or apply like actual skill acquisition principles to baseball forever. Some did, some didn't. Some some did. They didn't know what they were doing. You know, you talk about, I, I think I retweeted the other day, maybe Blake Trinan talking about his pitch. And he's like, you know, I just kind of aim down the middle and throw it as hard as I can, you know. Intention, intention led action. Uh, Nolan Ryan was probably the same way. Like, I don't know how we got from, you know, the old guys who just probably like, uh, I don't know, I'm just trying to hit it as hard as I can because I know like doubles and homers are good. You know, you look at old videos of like Babe Ruth taking bad in practice, there were catchers in there. And there were probably guys on the mound throwing hard. Like, how do we go from that? to, and I guess maybe the availability of information hurt. It's helped a lot, but it may be hurt. And we got to that, and now we've we got to maybe Ted Williams. I mean, I guess Ted, probably Charlie Lau, started like actually sharing what they were trying to do. And we we took it as gospel, and then everybody started doing that. It's like, well, you know, if Ted did it or Charlie Lau did it or Mike Smith did it or Dusty, I'm trying to just think of hitting books that are out there. Rod Carew did it, you know, um, Josh Donaldson gets on TV and says this and this, that, and the other. And it's like, all of a sudden we are, we're lost in where, from where we were. And Rachel Folden and I talked about that with Nick two days ago. It's like, I think we're getting more back to like gameplay in training not trying to predetermine the solution and work on that. It's like, how about let's, let's design this a little more game like and try to search for the solution. Mm -hmm. You know, and too, what's interesting is the, the pitching coach that I work with here um, at Missouri state, he's been doing this for like 30 some years, uh, more than 30 years. And his big thing is like, go out there and compete. Like, and, you know, when I think about it from an ecological perspective, I'm like, well, this is kind of why you're successful. I mean, you're not you're not hyper focused on mechanics. You're focused on them going out there competing and getting the job done, um, which is which is very much along the lines of what we're talking about. And he doesn't have any deep um, intellectual, you know, theory on why what he sees works. And, and that's where, to your point, I think for a lot of coaches back in the day or even ones that are very successful, this stuff is very intuitive to them. Yeah, you know, it's um, funny you say that because I've told this story a few times. I don't know that I've ever told this story publicly, but I've told this story several times to people that I'm around a lot. Is I Going back to the high school coach that I had, I mean, he was the most winning high school coach ever in the history of Virginia. Um more games, yada, 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 all this stuff. Well, growing up, 
I was a basketball player. My dad played Division One basketball. I just kind of played basketball. Like I, baseball was just kind of something I did in the spring. I wasn't the best player. I wasn't bad at it, but like it wasn't my thing. And so coming up, and then I get to like the eighth grade, and the guy, this guy starts calling me. I lived probably, I don't know, less than five miles from the field. He would call me the summer of my eighth grade year, I guess, going in, going to go into the ninth grade, or maybe it was the seventh grade into the eighth grade. That doesn't matter. He would call me like every day and be like, hey, can you come to the field and throw, pitch? I wasn't a pitcher. Like I, I kind of played first base and could hit a little bit, but like, Growing up, I, I, my command wasn't very good, and so like I aimed the ball a lot, trying to throw mm. strikes. And that entire summer, I stood on the mound, and he would cuss at me to throw the ball as hard as I could all the time. And it's just like mm-hmm. you kind of start to figure it out, and like I ended up being, I ended up having a like who knew I had a good arm? Like, I didn't even have a good arm growing up. Like I ended up throwing mm. like. 90, 91 in high school. It's like, huh, I had a good arm. And it, and it was all like, he didn't coach my mechanics. He just like stood mm-hmm. behind the mound like every day and just cussed at me to throw the ball harder. It's like, oh, well, this guy's won like a million games. I'm going to try to throw the ball harder. <laughs> it's weird because I just saw somebody on Twitter uh, who was a big in- intent guy um, arguing against uh, intent today sure um, yeah that happens every day I, on twitter <laughs> yeah <laughs> right yeah you know somebody argues that the sky is blue and somebody else is gonna be like no nah, dude it's not blue at all it's like and then they'll go down this rabbit hole and end up being like yeah it's kind of blue i guess but i think it's weird because they were the person who like kind of popularized the idea of intent in baseball as far as i understand it so i just found that interesting um that sounds a, that sounds a lot like baseball. B, that sounds a lot like Twitter. And then you combine mm-hmm. those two worlds and it's like it's like bizarro world. It's like, what is going on right now? Like, I don't know. I just kind of try to do my thing and share what I'm doing. If you find value in it, great. If you don't find value in it, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time arguing with you because we'll go back to the fact it's like, I just don't have the time or energy because we're trying to do what we do better. If that's not mm-hmm. for you, I just don't find it practical for people like businesses to go back and forth on Twitter. It's like, why don't you just share what you do well and not worry about what they're doing? Like, if mm. you don't agree with it, then just let them do them and you do you and just you do you better. If you think you're better, do it better. Like, I don't know what we're doing. Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me of a lot of kind of this idea. It's like, you just want to be able to – we should more focus on being able to be better uh, within ourselves and not kind of less focus on others, uh, you know, others being getting better. Just keep doing yourself. Keep, uh, keep improving yourself. And I just – I think that if kind of we take that concept and apply that to, you know, the baseball sense, then – I feel like we can create this more kind of dynamic slash um, improved uh, baseball kind of community where we can uh, continue to build upon ideas and continue to build upon just the idea of 
the basic idea of just getting better. And I'm kind of curious, Chad, because I've heard so many people talk about this. And for a long time, I wasn't really on Twitter. Um, but everybody talks about the glory days of hitting Twitter. Like, I, I, this is kind of a twofold question. One being, was was there ever the glory days of, of Twitter? Um, and then second, for people now entering the field and wanting to make a name for themselves, I feel like, or just like, get their coaching career going. What is a good way to actually use social media? Um, because I feel like, you know, what I've noticed over the past year or two is like, nobody really talked to us or has, you know, for new coaches, like really explain like, what is a good way to actually interact with people on Twitter and share your ideas? Even if you like disagree maybe, or maybe you feel like, um, that's not the whole story and you have another thought on that. Like what are good ways to actually engage with people on social media and use that platform well? Um, so usually today, if I disagree with somebody on Twitter, I, I just don't, I just don't, I just don't go about the, the trouble of disagreeing with, like, I disagree with what you're saying here. Like, I don't, I don't find that to be useful time, you know, and I, and I've talked to Nick about this and I think, and I've talked to, I think I talked to Tommy Johnson about this actually on Twitter one day. It's like, you got to understand like Twitter is just, Twitter's just an advertising company. They just want you to put your content there for free so they can sell advertisements to people and companies pay them for that. And so it's just an outlet. And so like Nick, I've told Nick, I'm like, this is something I wish I'd have done more of through the years. I haven't done a lot of it, but like you need to spend, put your thoughts, your good thoughts and you do it in podcasting, but you know, write them in a blog because the people that are going to read the blog are the people who are going to be really mad. They're going to really matter anyway. People that are just flipping through their feed to like respond and argue with you. They don't matter. Like, what do they matter? You know, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to find value in anything you say. They're just going to disagree with you. And so Nick has written some really good blogs on my website. I just kind of gave him my platform and said, here, man, take it, go, go run with it. Um, I'll, I'll let you use whatever resources I have. Um, you know, I just think you put your stuff on Twitter, talk the way, talk about what you believe in on Twitter. And then, you know, if people, you know, type mean things and disagree with you, it's just not a useful amount of time to go back and forth with them. Um, especially if it's like the crowd, you know, I've blocked most of the crowd at this point. It's like, it doesn't matter what I say. You're not going to agree with it anyway. And so can we just move on? Like whatever's going to end this conversation, can we just move on? Um, because I'm just trying to kind of share what we're doing. And this is the best I can do. It may look a little different next week and it may not, but this is the best I can do. And so for like young people, you know, I think if you just share honestly what you're doing, um, work you're doing, you know, putting your thoughts in blog form or podcasting form and just do honest work. I mean, it depends on what your end goal is. You know, 
I don't want to work in professional baseball. I say that today. I may change my mind if, if a great opportunity comes along. But if you do, you, all you need to do is just put out great work, especially the way it is now. Somebody's going to notice, like, man, this guy's doing really great work. You know, we need to talk to him. Um, and that's better than it's ever been. You know, I love it. Um, I love that people like Rachel Folden, people like Ryan Johansson, Tim Gibbons, Patrick Jones, uh, Ryan Fuller. All these guys are there that I've become friends with who have no background in professional. I think Ryan does, but these other people have no background in professional baseball and they're getting into professional baseball only on the fact that they do good work, which is awesome. As somebody that played professional baseball, all I wanted was like the best people in front of me. And I don't know that you've ever gotten it more than you're getting it now because they're just producing good work. And I think that's like, I heard Gary Vaynerchuk say one time, if you want to build the biggest building in the city, you don't have to tear down all the other buildings. Just build the biggest building. Like just build a bigger one than everybody else. And you'll be good. You don't have to tear the other buildings down. And I thought that was, I thought that was meaningful. So if you want to get on Twitter and you want to, you want to, you know, put your work out there, just build the biggest building. Somebody will notice. But depending on what your goal is, your goal is to get into professional baseball. Somebody will probably notice if your if your goal is to, to build a business and be an entrepreneur, then a lot of people will probably notice and that's good for you. And so I just think, I just believe in showcasing what you do, what you're doing and what you do and like just put it out there, you know. What have you learned on the entrepreneurial side of things? Um, because I mean, I find that really interesting, um, but also really challenging. So kind of what has that path and experience um, taught you and what advice would you have for people who wanted to go that route of being uh, an entrepreneur in this uh, field? So it's really challenging. It's exceptionally challenging. Um, you know, I think I told Chase the other day, looking back on the last 10 years of being an entrepreneur in this space. And I thought it was going to be easier than it is. Like I thought it was going to be, I thought more people were going to, I maybe not find value, but like agree with what we were doing because we had results. Like we could show the results. Like we're not guessing at this. We're not, this is real results. Like these are real improvements. And, you know, not that people aren't listening, but it's been like a lot harder to, to show because it's different. Like the way we go about things, again, we talked about this in the beginning, it's becoming more, it's becoming more of a thing, but like, it's still very different to a lot of the space. And, and so I thought it was going to be a little easier maybe to, to, like I thought people would see it and be like, oh, okay. Yeah. That like exit velocity, hitting the ball harder is a good thing. But the style bias really creeps in. Um, as far as being an entrepreneur, and I've, I've, there's been some great things that have happened during this COVID thing. We'll look back on this, and we'll we'll look back, and I I don't know how history will will show this, but I think if you're going to do this, building a business that is diverse enough to last 
meaning like I always tried to, I didn't want to just build our business in on-floor training. Like we do no, we do no one-on-ones in our facility. We do all group training. We do no teams. We do no, you know, we just do group training. If you want to train with us, great. If you don't, that's fine too. I let some of my friends use the building that don't train with us just because I like them, their kids and whatnot. But like, I just wanted to build a business, business that was diverse enough to last. And so building online infrastructure, continually improving it in LPD plus or course offerings or good prod products that I believed in there that maybe weren't good in the beginning, but you just continue to build them and make them better. Um, you know, uh, and then some sales things, you know, we built the spinner to solve a problem that was just driven by helping players. You know, we were having players that were training on our floor that did not carry shoulder tubes with them. And so I thought, well, I can maybe build something that works the same way. And it was like two years and final, finally stumbled on something that really worked well. And so that's been good. But again, I think it just goes back to the very beginning when I talked about why I got into coaching and it just became like, I just want to act in the best interest of players. And I think that's the same way in building a business in this space. Like you can't, like you can't be, you can't, it can't be ego and it can't be prideful. It just has to be like whatever it's going to take to, to act in the best interest of players and serve as many people and players as I can with good intention is and authentically is, is I think just going to play. Um, and so that's kind of the way I've approached the entrepreneur into this and certainly not out of the woods, but you know, I talked to Mike Rathwell of driveline about this and he's like, Man, you don't really, and I didn't, didn't really consider how lucky I was that I kind of built these things, even though they weren't popular because, you know, you've seen during this time that, for better or for worse, people have now we're doing online remote lessons and now we're doing online this and online that and you know just kind of doing that already um through the year. Mm. And so important so you already had the infrastructure. There, yeah, it was already there. Yeah. And as our gym closed during this time, the one of the other things that I realized and this we can move on from entrepreneur we talk more about it, is when when our gym closed and when when sales really started to slow down and things started to, to, and I really needed like customers, I realized it's like, I'm not sure I've done enough to earn these people's trust. Like I really started to question like, man, I, I don't, I need these people more than ever. And I'm not sure I've done enough. Like, yeah, I've been on Twitter a long time and yeah, I've helped a lot of people and try to be honest and upfront and, and open and authentic with everything because I don't know how to be otherwise, but you know, you really, you really kind of like refocus and like, all right, like I've got to, I've got to, I've got to earn these people's trust in because I don't know when I'm going to need their help again. If, but if I do, I want to make sure that, that I've given them enough that if I ever need to call in a favor, of like, hey, we're running a sale on X, Y, and Z, they feel like they don't feel 
like I'm trying to hustle them or I'm trying to car salesman them or whatever, you know, like I've given them enough that like I've earned them. I've earned the right to do that. I, I guess that's the way to say it. it. Just really dawned on me. It's like, I need to probably do more than I'm doing as far as like blogging and LPD plus content and video content and just free stuff because I don't know when this is going to happen again, you know? You know, one of the things that I saw a long time ago was um, you're kind of doing something similar to like the Daily V. Um, yep. And, and I thought that was a really cool concept. Um, and, and I think, you know, there's just a lot of interesting things that you can do with uh, like the video medium um, that, that I'm really – really interested to see like what could come out of that. I know like for myself, like there are things that I would want to do with that, but you know, that, that was something that I noticed that you did that I thought was really cool. Um, additionally, like the, the weighted bats that you, um, created, like that's something that me and my dad played around with and trying to figure out how to create an underload bat and getting like a, a regular 33 and we hollowed it out and, Fill, filled it full of uh, styrofoam, yeah. actually. Um, that one actually held up for, for a while before it ended up breaking. But, I mean, that was just like an interesting thing to figure out, like that challenge of of that. And, like, again, you being very in it, innovative in that space. Like, I thought your um, – the idea of being able to change the weights. Yep. Um, being like – I thought that was really helpful and useful, um, especially if we're talking about variability. Yep. Um, like you can do a lot with that. Um, and two, if you're using wood bats, um, way cheaper than buying buying the metal bats and creating, you can easily create multiple different sets, um, you know, 33, 34, 32, et cetera. Um, so I thought that was really really brilliant yeah i mean again it's it's the spinner came from that the weight of bats came from that it's really like just trying to recognize a problem or an inefficiency in the space and like fixing it you know that's, that's kind of where my curiosity have always gone is like if you do things the way they've always been done you're going to get what people have always gotten and that just doesn't really interest me that much. Like I just, there's gotta be better ways and not knowing what they are doesn't bother me. You know, I told, I had a former player that we trained who wants to get into baseball statistics and took Python at Virginia tech and he wants to study R. And and I told him, I said, look, man, you're, you're going to have to do something that you're not particularly comfortable with. And that is pursue something that, you don't know what the end looks like. And he wasn't real comfortable with that in baseball. And I don't know that he's still real comfortable with that in, in pursuing this, but it's like, you have to, you have to do that. Like you have to pursue things that you don't know what the end looks like. And then along the way, just had the humility to adjust what you're doing. Like immediately, like not tomorrow, not next week. If you see a better way to do it, you've got to go that way immediately. And you'll arrive in a place where most people aren't. And a lot of people are going to think you're crazy, but it doesn't matter what they think. Like they don't, they're not you. And, you know, if, if you continue chasing your curiosity and trying to find different answers, then 
you're going to end up in a space that's it's it's going to be it's going to be pretty it's going to be pretty elite but it's but it's also going to look a lot different to a lot of people and you just have to be comfortable with that that goes back to like taking a different approach to swing design and hitting you just have to be comfortable with like being in a space where not many people are how do you do that when you have to work with other people meaning like you have to work on somebody else's coaching staff or within somebody else's organization <laughs> um I, I mean, because like for me, that's the yeah. challenge and partially why this podcast and trying to get these ideas out there and have more people used to them so that when it comes time to having to work with other coaches, I'm like, I'm not having to necessarily fight as much for the ideas. The ideas are much more accepted. Yeah. I mean, I think back yeah. of like, um, you know, weightlifting um, back when I was getting out of college, like that was starting to become more of a thing in baseball. And because I, I look at Eric Cressy as being the guy who really helped shift the landscape in that. I know he isn't the only one, but sure. um, he had a big influence in, in baseball of getting that more mainstream and more accepted. And so I guess, you know, what are the challenges of, you know, like if you're being the quote unquote, the maverick, um, and you're actually needing to be able to work with other people, um, and to like get clients so that your business can actually function and survive. How do you, how do you bridge that gap? You know, it's a good question. Um, I think certainly working on a staff would be difficult, um, because you don't know, where a, another person's growth mentality is or, you know, do they have fixed beliefs? And if they do, it's going to be really, really difficult to overcome. Like you're just going to have to like do what they say mostly. And I'm maybe not the right guy to ask that because I kind of struck out on my own to do it the way that I thought it could and should be done without having to answer to anybody. Um, because we can switch directions and you know, that's what I've always liked about coaching is like, I like the development part of it. The wins and the losses were certainly nice when we did them, but you know, I don't have to have that. It just, it gives me joy to like see players get better. And if we need to change directions, we change directions. And if we need to do things differently, we do them differently. We don't ask, we don't, you know, we don't, we don't, you know, we don't have to answer to anyone. We don't have to have people tell us what to do. We just, we just go in a different, different direction because it's in the best interest of players. What was the second part of that question about working on a staff or, um, or just, I mean, like even in business, like yeah, getting clients because um, it is so different. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, people are just used to like, again, like if we're going to football or something, agility ladders, Yeah. you know, people are just like, well, this is what I expect um, agility to be. And when it's not, if it doesn't meet their expectations, sometimes even if it's actually makes more sense and it's the right thing for them, they, you know, you need a, you need, you don't need all the clients in the world, but you do need, yeah, for sure. you do need some. Um, no, I found that in the, in the training space that our training isn't for everybody. And I know that, and marketing is that 
is a mistake because you end up doing more harm than good when people when you get people into inside of your walls that have a perception of what it's supposed to look like and then it doesn't look like that at all mm-hmm. um, so you have to right now the only way to get in our training is through come through someone that is currently in our training like you have to have a referral especially on the youth end like you have to be referred by somebody we are currently training and so giving the people we are currently training who are seeing amazing results incentive to refer people is how we've been able to to at least sustain i mean i'm not driving a tesla but the same 10 years by you know, making adjustments and doing, we've never, I've never aligned with like a singular travel team. Like I just don't align with singular travel teams just because I want everyone to feel like if you want to get better, you can come train with us like this, that, or the other. And, and so people refer their friends and they refer their teammates and, you know, but still, it's still not for everyone. I mean, people still say, you know, you're going to hurt your arm or you're going to ruin your swing or you're going to mm-hmm. launch angle your swing or whatever. But <laughs> at least they're not doing that from inside of our training floor, you know, which was awful. It was so bad. It was so bad. So I get requests all, hey, do you do lessons? Like, no, we don't do lessons. Well, are you taking anybody? Well, that depends, you know, have you been referred by somebody we're training or you were currently training or have trained. Well, no, it's like, well, you have to have a referral because you kind of have to understand what this is going to look like when you get here. Because if you come in, it's just not going to be good for either one of us. And so that's kind of how I've gone about building enough clients that we sustain and are able to move forward and pursue things we want to pursue. I mean, we have really good technology. We have, a lot of great equipment and you know, everything that basically, I mean, I guess maybe I could drive a Tesla. Maybe if I hadn't bought all the tools we have, <laughs> but again, mm-hmm. um, I, I have a hit tracks and I tell people a lot, this is like when I pack my hit tracks into my car, the hit tracks in my car is worth more than my car. So that, that kind of tells you where my priorities are. I don't, I don't know what else would. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, we don't want to keep you too much longer, but and and so to kind of wrap, what we usually do is we ask, are there any sort of resources or advice um, that you would give other coaches? And two, it doesn't necessarily have to be baseball related, uh, as well on the resource side as the advice side. Um, you know, keep. I don't know a singular resource, but I guess my best advice to anyone would be keep an open mind. Just, you know, just keep an open mind, keep, uh, you know, a, a humble approach, uh, and serve players in the best interest you have. I think if, I think if you could do those things, then people that are doing work like you, people that are doing work like Nick is doing, um, a lot of the great people out there, it may look different to you in the beginning, But if you have, if you kind of take that approach and you look at things through a curious lens, maybe they're not just being different. And I think people label me as that a lot. Maybe he's just not Mm -hmm. being different just to be different. Like maybe there's something Mm -hmm. to this. Um, 
there's so many great resources online now. I mean, there's so many great people to follow on Twitter. There's, there's so much, there's so much, I am so jealous of people now uh, that play mm-hmm. now. Um, it can be a both a blessing and a curse. It's who do I listen to? Who do I follow? Or who, what, how do I reason my way through this? And I think that's, mm-hmm. that's a skill in of itself. But like, if you can, again, I, I built the first principles of hitting course just for that. It's like, if just understand a couple of simple things and it'll help you reason through a lot of the noise and just ask mm-hmm. the right questions of the, through the noise to help you arrive at like, who's got something and, and, mm-hmm. and everybody's got, I mean, I'll be honest, like, um, you can take bits and pieces from it, from a lot of places if you if you reason from the first principles like what matters what matters and what can we prove and so that's probably it um, and just and just go at it work really 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 hard like if you want to be really good at whatever you do um, it's going to require you to work eighty hours a week or more seven days a week or, you know, it's going to take a lot of time. You know, my sister works at the university of Florida as an assistant athletic director at 30. I'm, I'll be 37. She's 34 has one of the top marketing jobs in the country because she's worked like she's logged a lot of hours and just got really good at her craft. Uh, so usually these things are no different. Yeah. I mean, and two, I mean, as I say, we're, we're trying to wrap up, but I mean, that, that just highlights to me, like the importance of variability and some having, even within that, what you're doing, being able to explore at times within that and create some variability helps you hone your craft and, and being like, and that's, that's actually thinking back on your story, Chad, like that's, that seems to be what you've been willing to do. Yeah, I mean, you know, it goes back to if you log a lot of hours, if you log a whole lot of hours and you do it with all those qualities, you're going to get to places that a lot of people aren't because they just haven't logged the time that you have. Yeah, and then just constantly adapting. Well, I feel like that's a great place to, to end it. Um, Chad, thank you so much for for coming on the podcast today and, yeah, guys. and talking with us. Really yep. appreciate it. Yep, that was all. Yeah. Thank you, Chad. Really appreciate it. Yep. <laughs>